Welcome to Socialist Revolution Podcast, a podcast for communists. Today, we're doing another special episode on Israel's assault against Gaza. Just what is communism? You communists. Communists? A specter is haunting Europe. The specter of communism. communism. The presence within America of communist propaganda dedicated to the establishment of a new order. Communism, stronger, more determined than ever. Are there communists in this organization? Thousands of Americans actually aiding the communists. The children of present-day America will live in a communist society. Millions of people around the world are witnessing the horrific scenes of the people of Gaza as they're being massacred by the Israeli army. And today we have uh, Bryce Gordon here of the editorial board of Socialist Revolution to discuss uh, a little bit more about what's happening. So uh, welcome, Bryce. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure that our listeners are aware of a lot of the basic facts of what's happening on the ground. But what's some of the latest uh, news from it? Yeah, well, basically, for over three weeks now, Israel has been indiscriminately and savagely bombing the Gaza Strip, where 2.3 million people live who are completely unable to flee this situation. Uh, over 8,000 people have been killed, including over 3,000 children. Another 1,800 are reported as missing, including an estimated 1,000 children. And in this context, missing generally means that people are buried under rubble and haven't been found Beyond that, uh, 20,000 people have been injured by the airstrikes. Also, the fallout you would expect from this kind of bombardment is widespread. The medical system is collapsing. Disease is spreading. Um, And additionally, as we speak, what Israel is calling the second phase of the war is beginning. Uh, IDF troops have been entering Gaza over the past couple days. Some of the most intense airstrikes of this entire period have occurred just like over the weekend in the past few days. Right now, civilians in Gaza City are receiving phone calls from Israeli forces demanding that they evacuate, but there's nowhere safe to go. The whole strip is an unsafe place to be. So things are on the verge of actually a horrible uh, escalation and a whole new period of this uh, of this crisis. Yeah, it's really a, a barbaric situation. It's basically hell on earth right now in the Gaza Strip. Uh, of course, there's been a blockade ever since uh, October 7th. And therefore, it's also a situation where you don't have any basic goods. They're on the verge of famine. They don't have uh, safe drinking water. Uh, So it's not just the bombing and all the deaths and loss of life, uh, but just a totally uh, unlivable area right now. Uh, And I encourage people, all of our listeners, to also check out uh, the article that Bryce wrote, While Israel Slaughters Gaza, Millions of Americans Are Turning Against U.S. Imperialism. Uh, That's available on socialistrevolution.org. And a lot of these uh, facts and figures are listed there, along with videos, which gives you a sense of the dire situation. And yet Israel, Biden, all of the mainstream media in the West are claiming that this is all just an act of self-defense. Yeah, like they're, they're claiming it's in response to the attack launched by Hamas on October 7th. Uh, and that itself was the product of decades and decades of brutal uh, oppression, humiliation, occupation, and displacement of Palestinians by the Israeli state. So um, this, is the, this is decades in the making. It was basically a kind of slave uprising. So yeah, Israel's claiming this is an act of self-defense, but no one who looks seriously at the facts could possibly make that argument. Uh, This is an almost entirely one-sided bombardment against Gaza. 
despite claims by Biden and Netanyahu and similar people that they are trying to minimize civilian deaths, this is clearly not happening whatsoever. Again, thousands, 8,000 as of this morning, people have been killed, the vast, vast, vast majority of them civilians. Um, and so really, they're just trying to whitewash the situation, Biden and Netanyahu, which amounts to state terrorism and ethnic cleansing by Israel. Yeah, and they say, well, at least we're warning people that we're going to bomb them and we're asking them to uh, kindly leave the areas that we're going to bomb. That's that's how Israel's framing it. So that's very nice of them. Of course, like you said, the people of Gaza have, have nowhere to go that's safe. They're bombing hospitals, they're bombing schools, and they're even bombing uh, contingents of people trying to escape their homes as they leave. They're bombing border crossings. Uh, and a lot of people in the face of this uh, are actually uh, deciding not to leave their homes. They don't want to just cede their land, their homes to the Israeli state. If you look at the history of the conflict, I mean, a lot of uh, Palestinians would say this didn't start on October 7th. This started in 1948 when 750,000 Palestinians were kicked out of their homes, displaced, sent to refugee camps. And uh, the Israeli state uh, wants to repeat that. Um, so, yeah, as communists, we are not neutral in this conflict. We always stand on the side of the oppressed against the oppressor. In fact, if you're neutral in a situation like this, you're effectively siding with uh, the oppressor. So uh, we absolutely stand on the side of the Palestinians uh, against uh, this mighty reactionary army that is obviously backed uh, by U.S. Uh, imperialism. Yeah, I, I would totally agree that as communists, we have to take a firm, principled, unwavering stance in support of the Palestinian people. And furthermore, we also have to understand that U.S. imperialism, all the politicians, all the bourgeois politicians and the media which uh, defend their interests, they're intentionally obfuscating this point. They're totally misframing the whole conflict. And so we think it's very important to push back against all that pro-Israel war propaganda and explain the actual situation and the actual history that led up to this. If you want just one example of the hypocrisy of this, look at how uh, settlers are taking advantage of the situation uh, to kill dozens of Palestinians in the West Bank uh, and to intensify the displacement of, of the people in that area, even though Hamas is not uh, in power in the West Bank. So uh, you can see how this is just a continuation of the policy of uh, occupation and the displacement of the Palestinian people on the part of the Israeli government. But anyway, you, you mentioned U.S. imperialism. Can you speak a little bit more about the response of, of the U.S., of the U.S. government, uh, generally U.S. media? Yeah, well, since day one, the response of the U.S., the response of Biden, the response of all the leading figures in both the Democrats and the Republicans, all the editorial boards of major newspapers, has been to stand firmly with Israel, to defend its right to self-defense, as they're putting it. Uh, this is a bipartisan position in the U.S. Uh, there, there's really there's no fundamental difference on the questions that concern, you know, the maintenance of U.S. imperialism. And so the Democrats and the Republicans both completely agree with this. Biden with immediately made uh, speeches and press conferences voicing support for Israel. Then they basically have conducted a, a whole campaign to continue drumming up support. Biden himself went to Tel Aviv, gave a bunch of public speeches and, and said, promised them publicly an unprecedented military support package, which the House of Representatives is going to vote on this Thursday. They're actually rushing that through as an emergency vote. Uh, also, the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, 
went to the Middle East for several days and toured around voicing support for Israel. And to give you a sense of the cynicism and hypocrisy that's on display here, uh, you know, we have to keep in mind that the U.S. ruling class, whenever they wage war, whenever they support a war, they always cloak it in terms of defending democracy and these kind of high-sounding high phrases and that kind of thing. Well, uh, just to give one example, there's someone named Yoav Gallant. Uh, maybe our listeners are familiar with him, maybe not. But they might have heard a quote that he made early on in this current uh, bombardment. He's the Israeli defense minister, and he said the following, We are imposing a complete siege on Gaza. There will be no electricity, no food, no water, no fuel. Everything will be closed. We are fighting human animals, and we act accordingly. So that's the position of these uh, you know, far-right elements that uh, constitute a significant section of the Israeli state. But this didn't stop Anthony Blinken whatsoever from appearing right next to uh, Yoav Gallant. Mr. Secretary, thank you for coming. We always know, knew that the United States is a great ally. But today, the people in Israel and in the world see it in their own eyes. You are here, second time in this week. Senior officials of America are here every day, and we know what is the meaning. So let me tell you, this will be a long war. The price will be high, but we are going to win. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Minister. You know our deep commitment to Israel's right, indeed its obligation, to defend itself and to defend its people. And in that, we'll always have the support of the United States. So they'll support anyone they need to, to protect their imperialist interests. Uh, and Israel, the, the U.S. ruling class will say it's the only democracy in the region. We have to support it. Well, in reality, Arab citizens in Israel are second-class citizens, and that's actually written into law. Uh, and, and not to mention the horrific uh, increasing occupation and displacement of Palestinians in the West Bank, obviously the bombardment of Gaza that's happening right now. Um, so this is it's all totally self-interest, completely cynical. It's not about uh, democratic values, but about defending you know, so-called U.S. interests in the region, i.e. U.S. imperialism. Since then, there's been more support, both more statements of support, but also material support. The Pentagon has already sent stockpiles for the uh, Israel uh, Iron Dome and also has moved some troops into the region. Uh, they are saying that, that you know, they're not going to uh, move troops to Israel as such, but, uh, but they're, they're, they're sending ships, they're sending uh, military aid. Uh, and, and all of this continues. As recently as Friday, this past Friday, John Kirby, who's a White House spokesperson, literally said verbatim, we are not drawing red lines for Israel. And he otherwise refused to comment on the looming ground invasion of Gaza. So even as more discontent is, uh, is being voiced here in the U.S. about the U.S.'s support for Israel's assault on Gaza, they're continuing to draw a firm line, continuing to reiterate every single day the U.S. stands with Israel. It's not drawing red lines for Israel. That's been the, the message throughout ever since it started. 
yeah, and I mean, basically, no red line means everything goes. Uh, and again, here's the hypocrisy of U.S. imperialism. A war crime is only a war crime if your enemy commits it. But if U.S. imperialism is either committing it or paying for it and actively supporting it, it doesn't matter. So, for example, when Israel throws white phosphorus on Gazan citizens, uh, which is absolutely illegal, uh, but that's okay because Israel is the one doing it and uh, they're an ally of U.S. imperialism. And when Biden was actually asked about this, Biden was asked... Mr. President, is, are there Israelis um, operating within the rules of war that you talked about last week being so important? Good talking to you. Thank you, sir. And Biden left the room, didn't even answer uh, the, the question. Uh, so that shows you uh, the attitude of U.S. imperialism uh, in supporting this ethnic cleansing of the Palestinian people. On that note, too, um, the fact that Israel is committing war crimes is plain for everyone to see it. You know, no one could reasonably make the case otherwise. And so that's why Biden in this video literally just turned around, couldn't say they are following uh, so-called international law, but obviously isn't going to publicly explicitly admit uh, the contrary. But to give an example, um, at least 32 of the people who have been uh, killed are journalists, 57 are UN employees, um, ambulances have been bombed, like you said earlier, hospitals have been bombed, schools have been bombed. Uh, civilians are being unfairly targeted, to say the least. I mean, so it's it's very clear. Even the UN chief said that it's clear that war crimes are happening, basically. But yeah, they, it just goes back to this point you're making about what international law actually is. The actual rule is whatever the US says goes. They're only going to inv invoke that concept when it's convenient to them. And right now it's not. Yeah. And anyway, none of this is new, right? I mean, the, the U.S. and U.S. imperialism has supported Israel from the beginning. Even Biden himself, uh, famously, he said, There's no apology to be made. It is the best $3 billion investment we make. Were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. So this is nothing new. Uh, U.S. imperialism needs Israel within uh, the Middle East. And the war that we're seeing right now is a continuation of that policy. Yeah, definitely. It, this is decades and decades of consistent policy by U.S. imperialism. And actually, in fact, Israel is the single largest beneficiary of U.S. military and economic aid in the entire period uh, post-World War II. Adjusted for inflation, the U.S. has given Israel $260 billion in combined military and economic aid since World War II, plus another $10 billion more in contributions from missile defense systems like the Iron Dome. Um, and, and as we talked about, now they're preparing for another exceptional $14 billion uh, package to send military aid. So it really all comes down to um, fundamental class interests for U.S. imperialism in the region. They're basically forced by virtue of that uh, relationship to publicly and unwaveringly support Israel to maintain that uh, block of support, which is very uh, Im important uh, from the point of view of the U.S. ruling class. Yes, and like you said, uh, this is a bipartisan question. It's the entirety of the U.S. state apparatus that holds this policy. And if any leftists or socialists or communists uh, had any doubt, uh, we cannot support any lesser evil arguments. 
socialist, communist. We cannot work with the Democratic Party, uh, which is a party literally supporting the ethnic cleansing of a people in the Middle East. Uh, and that, of course, has supported war and uh, U.S. imperialism in that region for decades. Yeah, definitely. And just to give one more example, uh, recently, someone named Sarah Harrison, who's a former Pentagon uh, official and a former Department of Homeland Security official, she wrote, This is an environment that has been cultivated by Democratic and Republican administrations alike. If you work in federal government and question anything Israel does, you are sidelined and silenced. Uh, so I think that gives a, quite a good um, example of just how intense and, and unanimous the support for Israel is among these two parties. You know, when you look at things like the Senate unanimously voting on a resolution that basically said that Israel has a right to defend itself, which is going to serve as a justification then for this uh, aid package and the sending of weapons and so forth. And you see that Bernie Sanders voted for it. You can see the kinds of pressures that you get uh, when you collaborate with these kinds of people. So again, once more, we say no support down with uh, the Democrats and the Republicans. And uh, we need a, a separate party, a communist party, really, uh, if we're going to be able to, to effectively fight against U.S. imperialism uh, and stand on the side of the Palestinian people. Now, if, if you compare this... Uh, with popular opinion on the ground. Of course, uh, things are, are, are split in a sense because you have the media that are publishing a barrage of propaganda. Obviously, that's having an, an impact in the U.S. population and worldwide. But there's also been uh, a huge mass movement of really millions of people coming out into the streets worldwide to, to protest uh, these horrors, a uh, clear indicator of the fact that there's a, a significant portion of the population that can see through the lies of the ruling class in the U.S. and around the world and that want to fight back. I think the Palestine solidarity movement that has emerged in response to this uh, is really unprecedented in the U.S. at least. I mean, in the past, um, after you know prior aggressions by Israel, there would be protests sometimes and, and uh, of, of some size. But I think it's, you know, what we've seen now dwarfs anything we've seen in recent history. Probably tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people now just in the U.S. have protested in all major cities in defense of the Palestinians. Um, and, and so it's been really incredible to see. And the U.S. section of the International Marxist Tendency, uh, just looking at, uh, at the U.S. alone, our comrades in cities across the country have participated in over 80 of these demonstrations. And that's another significant thing about this is it's not just like one demonstration is happening in each city and, and, and everyone uh, calls it quits after that. Week after week, like here in New York, for instance, I, we've seen, you know, probably like five major uh, pro-Palestinian protests and, and uh, other cities too. Um, every weekend, seemingly, they're, they're, the people continue to show up by the thousands or the tens of thousands to show support for Palestine. Yes, I think it's a very powerful movement that layers on top of the 2021 mass movements that, that we saw. And I mean, we have sections around the world that are participating in, in these protests. Uh, and like you said, in the U.S., I mean, I can mention off the top of my head, uh, we had communist contingents in uh, Palestine solidarity protests in Atlanta, Boston, Chicago, Denver, 
Dallas, Houston, North Carolina, Minneapolis, New York, Philadelphia, St. Louis, Seattle, Los Angeles, Phoenix, etc. The list goes on. Uh, nearly 30 cities or over 30 cities where our comrades were able to, to organize, stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people and show our support. So if you want to be part of a communist contingent at one of these protests, you can reach out to us and we'll let you know about the next protest coming up. Um, so it's been really inspiring to see this. Some comrades have described it like Black Lives Matter matter type of mood because people can see the injustice uh, they're angry about what's happening and they're pouring into the streets to protest against that um, but like I said earlier uh, a lot of the time it's uh, the, you know the, the media you know it's, it's been funny we go to a protest that has tens of thousands of people even hundreds of thousands of people and then the media says hundreds of protesters uh, were out in the streets, which I guess technically it's true. It's many, many hundreds. Um, but it's, you know, obviously they try to frame it in one way. They say, oh, these are anti-Semitic protests or they are pro-Hamas or terrorist supporting a protest, uh, which is an absolute mischaracterization. This is complete slander, of course. That That is not why thousands and thousands of people are, uh, are showing up for these protests. They're showing up because they're seeing what's happening to the people of Gaza uh, and they're horrified and so you've seen this uh, very significant solidarity movement. Another thing, too, that has been exposed by this is that, uh, you know, so-called democratic countries have actually attacked democratic rights and liberties. For instance, in France, uh, at least initially, pro-Palestine protests were outright banned. Uh, people showed up anyway, and enough pressure was put on the government that they've since lifted that. But it shows that uh, the bourgeois democratic uh, regimes are absolutely not afraid to, you know, dispense with those, uh, you know, values or whatever when it's politically necessary. In Germany, too, there's been quite intense repression of pro-Palestine protests. Yeah, and uh, also in countries like Canada or Britain, uh, some of the uh, our comrades are organizing pro-Palestine activities on campuses and our student organizations are, are being attacked are being even banned uh, or rescinded uh, due to their uh, support for, for Palestine. Now, I would say that in the U.S., the extent of the, the censorship, it, it hasn't, the government hasn't passed any laws banning these protests or anything like that. Of course, there's uh, police violence. For example, there was uh, another huge protest here in Bay Ridge, uh, Brooklyn, that had uh, tens of thousands of people out. There was uh, heavy repression at the end uh, with uh, cops uh, beating protesters, uh, you know, a couple dozen people arrested. The NYPD, the police department in New York, is trained by the Israeli military. So they use a lot of the same uh, tactics that that Israeli state uses in the Middle East, uh, which shows the connection between U.S. imperialism and the struggle of, of the workers and youth here uh, and the struggle of our Palestinian brothers and sisters. In any case, um, even though there hasn't been that kind of legal censorship, there has been a lot of Zionist doxing, uh, for example, at Harvard and Columbia, uh, there are some student organizations signed statements of support, and some Zionist organizations have paid for a doxing truck that had a, a display showing the pictures. Uh, the faces, the names, and all the personal information of the people who signed the statements, or even any other people that seem to have any connection with pro-Palestinian movements. And you've also had a lot of other backlash from, for example, uh, Zionist uh, billionaires pulling their funding from universities 
because they thought the university administration wasn't doing enough to uh, to combat these pro-Palestine sentiments on campus. There's another example of a, a right-wing, a Republican councilwoman in New York City who showed up to a Palestine protest that was actually moved off campus. It was going to happen at Brooklyn College, which is part of the CUNY system, a public school. It was pushed off campus by the administration because of the Zionist pressure. And this councilwoman showed up with a, with a weapon, showed up with a gun, open carrying, uh, to intimidate uh, and threaten the demonstration. So these are the kinds of pressures that we're seeing uh, in the United States. And yet we will not be intimidated. The movement is not backing down in the face of these uh, threats. It stands strong. Uh, and it's actually much larger than these Zionist counter-protests that, that we've seen, which are frankly pretty pathetically small. And we have to remember, this is all coming on top of um, a situation where there is already deep discontent in U.S. society, growing class struggle, growing uh, disillusionment, and, and a loss of confidence in the establishments of capitalism. Um, so when you have you know, several generations who either are extremely skeptical of Biden, were always opposed to him in the first place, and, and were already angry because of things like inflation, with uh, the job market, student debt, with climate change, uh, racism and police brutality. And then on top of that, you see Biden now fully backing this uh, horrific assault on Gaza. You know, that's one more straw or maybe a brick on the camel's back, which is now pushing hundreds of thousands of people onto the streets to stand in defense of Palestine. Yes, and, and I think it's interesting to see that perhaps the mass movement is having some impact in terms of how the media portray uh, so, some of the conflict. Like, for example, you know, when the conflict first started after October 7th, I remember news were showing the, the thing about like 40 babies decapitated by Hamas, which by then had already been confirmed as being false. And for days and days, the media was still showing this. Whereas now there, I think they're, they're maybe tone shifting a little bit because maybe they can see the pressure from below. Uh, and even uh, Biden and other U.S. officials have talked a little bit more about uh, the importance of protecting civilians uh, or of letting aid into uh, Gaza, which obviously, I mean, they, it's, it's hypocrisy because they don't care about the lives of the people of Gaza, but maybe it shows a little bit of that pressure from the streets. Yeah, to, I mean, to start with the question of uh, humanitarian aid, at first, for, for a couple weeks, Gaza was under a complete blockade. Uh, there was no food, no water, no fuel, no electricity, nothing whatsoever uh, allowed in. And then for over a week, really, there, were, there was just kind of continuous talk of allowing some UN humanitarian trucks in from Egypt. Um, and part of the problem was that Israel was continuing to bomb the area near that border crossing, making that impossible. But yeah, like you said, there's been more talk of that, more talk in the media about uh, humanitarian aid trucks and so on. Uh, so far, 117 trucks have been allowed in. The biggest delivery of any day was Sunday when 30 aid trucks were let in. And so the media is kind of saying, all right, well, you know, the U.S. is negotiating to, to make sure that some aid can be let in. But the United Nations itself says that what's really needed is at least 100 trucks per day to address the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. And even if that was achieved, what it amounts to is allowing people some more crumbs allowing people some basic sustenance while they and their families continue to be brutally bombed day in, day out. A couple days ago, 
a top UN official said the following is, is very explicit. He said, over the last week, I followed closely the focus about the number of trucks entering Gaza. Many of us saw in these trucks a glimmer of hope. This is, however, becoming a distraction. These show trucks are nothing more than crumbs that would not make a difference for the two million people of Gaza. Uh, so that says it quite well, I think. This is an attempt to say, well, we're allowing aid in, you know, doing what we can, but it is crumbs. It's, it's not nearly enough. There's no end in sight for the airstrikes. Um, so what I, I, would, I would say all of this is really public relations management for Western imperialism. And it goes back to what you said. Despite all the pro-Israel propaganda and the media and everything, more people are seeing through that, uh, including in the U.S., but also Biden and the U.S. ruling class are aware of the volcano of discontent that exists in the region around Israel. Throughout the Middle East, as millions of people in that part of the world watch the U.S.-funded assault on Gaza, it's, uh, it's preparing a possible explosion of class struggle. And so, for, so yeah, you see this slightly more cautious tone taken recently. For instance, even when Biden was in Tel Aviv, mostly, you know, he always led with his statements of full support for Israel. But sometimes kind of between the lines, he would hint at this. He said things like, If you have an opportunity to alleviate the pain, you should do it, period. And if you don't, you're going to lose credibility worldwide. Also, Obama chimed in to talk about this. He released a Medium post, and he said the following, The Israeli government's decision to cut off food, water, and electricity to a captive civilian population threatens not only to worsen a growing humanitarian crisis, it could further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations, erode global support for Israel, play into the hands of Israel's enemies, and undermine long-term efforts to achieve peace and stability in the region. Uh, so obviously, whenever they discuss this, they're going to cloak it in terms of, you know, peace and stability and, and humanitarian concerns. But really what they're saying is that uh, this, this brazen conduct of Israel could spark a backlash um, and could totally upend this uh, attempt by the U.S. to defend its interests in the region. So it really comes down to how best to manage and maintain U.S. imperialist interests. Not to speak of the fact that even some of the governments in the region uh, might be pushed by this uh, U.S. imperialist meddling with uh, Israel's expansion to also intervene. Uh, and therefore, this could spread the conflagration to involve even more countries in, in the region, and it could turn out into a, a much larger war as well. So that's that's another element that uh, the U.S. imperialists are having to balance with and, and reckon with, understanding that that's going to mean even more instability, even more volatility, and not just in the Middle East, but also the impact that it's going to have on the U.S. population uh, if yet another larger war were to start in, in that region. So, so what's the solution? I think these, uh, you know, these protests that that have been happening are, are very uh, inspiring, uh, very large. But what are the next steps? And I think this also raises the question of slogans, right? Uh, what should we be calling for with regards to Israel-Palestine? Um, is is calling for a ceasefire? You know, who who would enact such a ceasefire? Are we just like begging the the, the U.S. imperialists? Are we begging Netanyahu? You think Netanyahu is going to uh, agree uh, to a ceasefire? Yeah, well, actually, over the weekend, the office of Netanyahu, the office of the prime minister, explicitly said that it's firmly opposed to a ceasefire. He's putting that out explicitly. 
And so I think the whole question around calling for a ceasefire shows the need for class politics here, because we understand that imperialist war is the product of the decades and decades of tensions that were building up to that moment in the first place. And so for one thing, who is being called on to enact this ceasefire? Well, clearly Israel is not going to do that. The UN has never been able to do that. The United Nations, I don't know if you saw that, they passed a non-binding resolution uh, with 120 votes in favor, 14 against, among which obviously Israel and uh, the US, that calls for an immediate, durable and sustainable humanitarian truce leading to a cessation of hostilities. So effectively uh, calling for a ceasefire in a a certain sense, obviously uh, this is a worthless piece of paper. It's non-binding and it it has no impact. This was passed and voted on at the same time as Israel had bombed all the communication towers in Gaza. They had a total blackout on Friday and they were starting their heaviest bombing yet. While that was happening, the UN was passing this uh, pointless resolution that means nothing and achieves nothing. Yeah, definitely. And we have to remember, uh, you know, one of the express purposes of founding the UN was to end war. But that has not been the case at all. War has continued um, basically every single day. There's like maybe literally fewer than 20 days where there hasn't been war happening somewhere in the world since the UN was founded. And so the UN is powerless to do that. The UN is, you know, will kind of passively put forth these resolutions and statements sometimes. But it's really the major imperialist powers that call the shots. Uh, And the US is behind this. Israel is hell-bent on continuing with its ground invasion of Gaza. Interestingly, they actually don't have a clear end plan, and that actually is causing concern, for instance, uh, among American officials who are in in, in discussions with Israel, because they want to make sure that there is some kind of strategy here. You know, obviously, ceasefire means an end to the bombing now. And of course, we're in favor of Israel stopping the bombing. But the question of resolving this conflict is not just a matter of ending this particular war, the particular uh, bombing, but how can we free and liberate the Palestinian people altogether from the oppression of, uh, of Israel? Yeah, definitely. And as Marxists, we observe that war is a continuation of politics by other means. And so what's happening right now is the continuation of the decades-long policy of Israel towards Palestine, i.e., to uh, continuously increase its occupation, displace, atomize, keep the people of Gaza uh, basically imprisoned in this tiny strip of land. And so even if there was a uh, ceasefire, we'd basically be turning the clock back to October 6th. All those tensions are still there. And so really it comes down to what is the way forward for the conflict uh, altogether. We, We can't divorce it from the question of Uh, the the final liberation of of the Palestinians as a whole. Yes, and that's precisely why we argue for intifada. We argue for a revolution, uh, not just in Palestine, but also across uh, the region. And of course, here in the United States as well, which as as we've said, uh, US imperialism is just as guilty as the Israeli government. Uh, So as communists, we obviously need to be building a communist party here in the United States 
Uh, but when we call for intifada, you know, some people say, well, that's, uh, you know, you're calling for terrorism. Well, an intifada li- literally means shaking off or uprising. And, and it refers to the movements uh, in Palestine uh, in the 80s and then again uh, in the early 2000s, where millions of people rose up and started really running societies with like workers committees that were, uh, you know, fighting off uh, the Israeli forces, a, a genuine mass uprising. It's the opposite of, of terrorism. It's the will of the majority against the will of the minority of occupiers and imperialists that are oppressing them. So that's the legacy that we defend. And that's what we argue for needs to be repeated. Uh, and I think there's a potential for it because all the countries that have powerful working classes in the region, Egypt, uh, Iran, uh, Lebanon, all of these are countries where there have also been mass protests to, uh, against uh, the, the current bombing of, of Gaza. Uh, there's been protests in uh, Turkey, another huge country with a huge working class, Tunisia, Jordan, Iraq, Morocco, Yemen, Libya. I mean, these are all places where there have been movements against uh, Israel's bombing of Gaza. And therefore, that perspective is one of an uprising, not just within uh, Palestine and of Palestinians within the Green Line, but also of it spreading throughout the entire region, of a linking up of the working class uh, and the oppressed of the entire region for a socialist federation of the Middle East. So that's the perspective that we're bringing to, to the movement. Those are the slogans that we're raising in the movement. Yeah, I think some of the biggest protests that have occurred anywhere are precisely the ones that are happening uh, across the Middle East. I mean, for I, I saw a video of a demonstration in Yemen, which was absolutely enormous. I mean, the, the camera could barely capture the full extent of this pro-Palestine uh, solidarity protest. And so that's why we think it's totally you know necessary to raise this slogan of a socialist federation of the Middle East, a socialist federation of the whole of Palestine for the one thing, but as part of a socialist federation of the Middle East. That's the solution, is, is a regional and ultimately a worldwide intifada. It's part of the worldwide class struggle. And on the question of the ceasefire, we have to remember that there have been attempts in the past to enact precisely that. There's been, the, in, in particular, the Oslo peace process. There have been efforts to finalize a two-state solution, but they have not worked at all. That's because Israel continues to expand into the West Bank, continues to uh, intensify uh, its its occupation. And so rather than having any illusions or confidence in in the so-called international community, the UN, uh, these kinds of institutions, we have to understand that it's only the working class has the power to halt capitalism uh, and imperialism. For instance, workers here in the US can halt arms shipments. Dock workers, for instance, could could halt shipments People who work in media could uh, cut the cord on the capitalist uh, propaganda machines that are continuing to pump out pro-Israel propaganda. There's all the all these key sectors and industries where the working class, if it's armed with a program and an understanding of the necessity to stand with Palestine and to stand with the oppressed and the exploited, U.S. workers and workers across the world can help halt the war machine. Yes, and, and if you're a communist here in the United States, what can you do? I think, of course, go to the protests, 
go with, with ideas, with these kinds of revolutionary slogans, join the communist contingents. But beyond that, I, I think taking initiatives, if you're a worker in a trade union or just at your workplace, you can uh, organize meetings in solidarity with Palestine to inform your co-workers of, of what's happening. If you're a student, you can do the same in your universities. Importantly, you could pass resolutions in your trade union uh, stating support for Palestine, but importantly, that the union commit to also spending uh, resources to, to support the cause of the Palestinian people. And there's some uh, resolutions, we can maybe link them below, that our comrades in Britain, in Canada, and other countries have been able to pass in their, uh, within their uh, unions. Um, so I think these are some examples of concrete actions that we can take now so that we're basically spreading these ideas, building communist cells in, in every workplace, every union, every uh, university, so that we can, we can start to push for the kinds of tactics that will genuinely aid the Palestinian cause, such as mass action, uh, strikes, working class action. Uh, that is the only one that can actually stop U.S. imperialism on its tracks. Yeah, all of those are excellent examples of how communists can stand in support of Palestine here in the U.S. And I think it all goes to show that our primary task is to oppose U.S. imperialism, is to fight to overthrow capitalism here in the U.S., because that's the force which primarily props up Israel. Israel could not survive. Israel would not have even come into being without the active support of Western imperialism, which saw uh, an opportunity for itself in, in backing Israel. Um, and so if we want to defund Israel, for instance, that's one of the chants and slogans you sometimes hear is, is, is a progressive sentiment that people want to not be actively funding this. Then we explain that we need a workers' government in order to make that a reality. And so to fight for that, it all comes down to building a communist party here in the U.S. That's really what's necessary. And the basis for that, the basis of potential, is enormous. Earlier this year we found this statistic, which is really telling, which was that 20% of 18 to 34-year-olds in the U.S. think that communism is the ideal economic system. But also, you can see support among the youth, in particular for Palestine. One opinion poll found that less than half, 48%, of Gen Z and millennials believe that the U.S. should publicly voice support of Israel compared to 63% of Gen Xers 83% of baby boomers, and 86% of the silent generation. So there's a clear age discrepancy in support for Israel. Um, and, and that makes sense because it's the, you know, it's, it's the youth which is primarily turning against capitalism and drawing revolutionary conclusions and, and drawing the conclusion that uh, both parties, the whole status quo, the whole establishment can't be trusted. And so this is a really positive and, and progressive development. Um, also, though, if we, if we just look at the, the whole U.S. population, there was a Reuters poll which found that, uh, on the one hand, 9% of Americans believe that the Israeli government is most responsible for the war, and 3% attribute this responsibility to the U.S. government. And so that's really significant because, you, again, you have this barrage of media arguing for the contrary, saying that it's a, you know, a justified response or, or whatever. But that means 12% of the American adult population, which amounts to over 30 million people, are placing the blame where it belongs. People are understanding that uh, this is not, uh, you know, this didn't start on October 7th. This is the product of the U.S. 
and Israel backing the, the occupation for decades. And then lastly, I'll just say that, uh, again, among young people, their conception of this war is quite different than older generations. Uh, 27% of 18 to 34-year-olds think that Israel's response to October 7th uh, was fully justified, so just 27% of young people, compared to 81% in the 65 and up age bracket. Um, and then one more way we can look at this, which I thought was interesting, is that among the very youngest bracket, among 18 to 24-year-olds, 51% said that the October 7th attack, quote, can be justified given the grievances of Palestinians. And so that means that uh, you know one out of two Gen Z people it's not that they're endorsing it, but it's that they're, they basically have an understanding that this didn't come out of nowhere, that the Palestinians have been oppressed and exploited and humiliated for years. And that's the dynamic that gave rise to October 7th. And so if you're a communist, if you're in support of Palestine, I would say your, your task is to help organize that layer. There's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who are open to this perspective. And what we need to do is bring all those people into a cohesive political force, a communist political force that can stand for Palestine, that can stand against the slander from, from the U.S. media and politicians, and also arm the Palestine Solidarity Movement with a class program, which explains that only the working class across the world can put an end to the situation facing Gaza and the decades of humiliation which the Palestinians have suffered. Bella,